following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. If you would, open up in your Bibles or electronic device that has a Bible on it. We are in Philippians uh, chapter 1 today, and we are going to look at verse 19 through 26. So Philippians chapter 1, verse 19 through 26. If you do not have a Bible uh, in your pew Bibles, I believe the page is 1826. And if you don't have a Bible, you can go ahead and take that Bible home with you. Um, By all means, that that is yours, our gift to you. Um, in Philippians chapter 1, I'm just going to kind of jump right into it. Uh, Paul is going to talk a little bit, the Apostle Paul, who uh, met a risen Jesus on, um, excuse me, met a risen Jesus. Uh, Paul is a persecutor of the church, and then he starts to populate the church. So before we go any further, even um, the most vile detestable sinner can still come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And we're going to talk about praying for people here in a minute. Um, But it is fascinating that Paul pens these words because he would have known the Old Testament by heart. And in Philippians, he is going to start to talk about a word uh, that we know in our English language called deliverance. Uh, That word deliverance essentially means that you are rescued from danger. And as we have spent so much time these past couple of uh, months and years Uh, talking with people and their problems and their situations and circumstances, I hear that word pop up more and more, that I just want to be delivered. I just want to be healed. I just want to be rescued. I just want to be redeemed. I just want to be restored. And if Paul were here in person, he would essentially say that in the Old Testament, God's deliverance focused primarily on removing his people uh, in the midst of danger or trouble. So, for example, in Psalm chapter 51, God is said to be the deliverer of, of Israel, and he's the one who rescues his people. So, it, it's not uncommon for people to want to be rescued and to be restored. But here's the crazy thing about what God does. God doesn't always take us out of a situation or circumstance. Sometimes he keeps us in a situation or circumstance just so that we know what we're saved from. And in the New Testament... Uh, the people, as they were reading the letters from Paul, would have been reminded that temporary deliverance on an earthly level in the Old Testament always served as a symbolic representation of spiritual deliverance, specifically from sin available to all through Jesus Christ, which is permanent deliverance, which comes when we populate the new heaven and the new earth. And so, We are, like I said, strangers just kind of walking through, aliens, this life. And oftentimes, we want to be delivered from something. But God says, I want you to understand what you're really, truly delivered from, which gives you peace and joy. And that is your sins when you confess with your mouth that you're a sinner and believe in your heart Jesus Christ is the Lord. And so God uh, shows us in the New Testament that he gives us, as believers, deliverance from three things. One, for this current evil age, Satan can't touch you. Okay, he can kill the body, but he cannot kill the soul. Um, He shows us, too, that 
there is deliverance over the reign of Satan. He doesn't have any control over you anymore. And then there's no eternal punishment for you either when after everything is said and done. So Paul, knowing this, is pushing this to a church in Philippi that knows he's 800 miles away in jail and they're dealing with their problems and Paul's dealing with his problems because he's in prison and they're all dealing with hardships. And uh, essentially what Paul does is he says, I'm gonna give you three reasons that you should rejoice in your hardship and you should rejoice that you have been delivered from sin, okay, first and foremost, and that in your hardship, God is working. And, and maybe, just maybe, the goal for today is that you would Maybe not, at, oh man, it's hard to say. Maybe not ask that God would deliver you from that. But that you would rest in it. And that you would realize that there's where sanctification takes place. And, and in that trial, in that valley, God is doing something great in your life. And if he were to remove you from it, maybe you would miss the lesson for you. Okay, so that's kind of our goal today. So let's look at Philippians chapter one, verse 19. I always worry sometimes like, because my face is really focused sometimes. I'm like, I wonder if these people think I'm angry at me or at you. I'm not angry at you. I'm just thinking. <laughs> Bethany and I were talking about it. She says, Pastor Jordan's not mad. He's just processing. <laughs> so if I look mad, I'm processing, all right? Uh, verse 19. For I know, and I really want you to get this. I know, Paul says to his church, and this is what God says to you today, that through your prayers, and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this problem will turn out for my, and there's the word there, deliverance, which is key. It is my eager anticipation and hope that I will not be at all ashamed in this problem. And Paul talks about this a little bit in 1 Corinthians when he says, uh, I'm okay if I'm foolish for Jesus Christ. I love that. I'll be a fool for Christ in this world. But with full courage, now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by life, living here, or by death. That Jesus gets the glory, that God gets the glory, is what he says. Well, what's, what's Paul ultimately saying? Three reasons to rejoice in hardship. First thing, is he says, is that God is at work in your hardship personally, and also through the prayers and petitions of the saints. So Paul is rejoicing during his years of prison, and I'm just bringing you up to speed of what we talked about last week, as evangelistic efforts were taking place in hardship. And if you missed last week, here's the thing. In your hardship, you have to see opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, with people who are in front of you. You just need to do that. But also you need to see that you're going through a hardship to help somebody else out who may be a believer too as well. And we know that maybe, just maybe, Timothy's here with him, and we know there's another person here with him from the church of Philippi. And so Paul, look at this, he says, I continue to rejoice no matter how long I remain in this prison or how long I will live knowing that God is going to help in my hardship in three specific ways. All good sermons have three points, and all three points should have three subpoints. <laughs> all right, uh, he says, here, listen, look at the first one. He says, here's how God helps in hardships. First and foremost, I love knowing that the church is praying for me. Let me just ask you a question before we go any further. Are you praying for people in our church? Are you? Are you praying for the saints who are hurting or need healing or who are going through hardships? Or maybe are you praising the Lord that people in their lives, things are going well? 
sometimes, just, just me personally, I think it's really easy to pray for somebody when they have a problem. It's harder to praise the Lord when somebody gets a blessing, right? God, I'm just so thankful they got that car. If you could just break down, that'd be great, right? You laugh, but you say it too, all right? Anyway, Paul counts the prayers of the believers, right? That it's his treasure. Praying for others is commanded in Scripture. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. You don't have to go there. Let me read it to you. I urge you that the supplications, prayers, and intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. If you're praying for somebody, would you do me a favor this week and just tell me praying for them? Man, they would love to hear that. Somebody asked me, how do we minister to people in a pandemic? You text them, you call them, and you tell them we're praying for you. That's how you do it. Number two, the Holy Spirit, because of our prayers, helps us. Paul has great assurance that God is present in his situation in prison. He also has great assurance that the, uh, the Holy Spirit is active in the church. And so he wrote very similar things to the church in Rome. And you don't have to go here, but Romans chapter 8, verse 26 says this. The Holy Spirit helps us where? In our weakness. The Holy Spirit helps us in our weakness. For example, we don't know what God wants us to pray for, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that cannot be expressed in words. And the Father who knows all hearts knows what the Spirit is saying, for the Spirit pleads for us as believers in harmony with God's own will. So you're telling me in my hardships, I can look to the Lord and say, God, I have no idea how to pray for this situation. I can pause, I can be still, and he will give me the words that are needed to be said. Yeah. Somebody asked me the other day, said, how should I pray? I said, you should pray with a Bible in one hand, right? And your words in the other hand. And you talk, and then God speaks. And then you talk, and then God speaks. I've never heard the audible voice of God, though. Jordan, read the Bible out loud. <laughs> because God always delivers. Paul knows that everything that's happening to him will eventually end in God's deliverance. Now, if you want to circle that word there, deliverance means spiritual deliverance in regards to salvation, being born again. But here, in verse 19, Paul uses the word for the final stage of his salvation, his death, and for his future acquittal in Rome where he would be tried in a court for his faith. Most scholars agree here that Paul is quoting Job chapter 13, verse 16, which says, indeed, this will turn out for my deliverance. God will work through this hardship. And like Job, Paul focuses on his relationship with God in his hardship. Do you do that? See, so oftentimes we want the problem to pass instead of focusing on the spirit that is present in the situation that is happening. And so what Paul does is he says, I'm going to be like Job, and I'm going to seek to prove that God, and in his integrity, is good, and that the gospel is true. So what Paul's saying here is he's saying this. He says, if the church and believers are praying, and the Holy Spirit is present, and God is delivering through working in me in this situation, then it doesn't matter if I live or die. Everything's going to be okay. Now, let's make a, a side note here. In the Greek... The word eager anticipation in your Bible pictures a person straining their neck to see what's ahead. It's like you're stuck in traffic, right? And you're trying to see what's going on. You're trying to, you're trying to do this. Like, yeah, hey, what's, what's happening over there, right? You're turning your car a little bit and peeking up forward, and, and you're wondering what the problem is. 
And Paul uses the exact same word in Romans chapter 8, verse 19. He says, I'm looking forward to a future day when God will reveal who his children really truly are. So in hardship, Paul is straining his neck, looking for future and final deliverance. He is not concerned about the situation playing out or his own humiliation. And I said that Paul is not ashamed of being foolish for Christ. That's 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 10. And so in his hardship, he's okay with looking like a fool by communicating the gospel and encouraging believers at the same time. Are you that way? Am I that way? What Paul says is he is brave, not timid, not ashamed. And as if we as believers know how everything plays out in the end, then how can we be like Paul here who says, I am bold, I have significant courage, whether by life or death, to exalt, give God the dignity and the honor and the glory in my hardships because this is not the last one. See, oftentimes what happens for us is we think, if I can just get through this one, then I could be, uh, th th then I'll be okay, right? If I could just raise one kid well, then the next one will be okay, right? If we could just get through this one situation, then the next one. But here's what happens. Every time I work through a problem or a situation or circumstance that's hard, there's another one that comes up. Why? And God's like, you're welcome, and most of the time, if we're honest, problems come in regards to people. And God says, I'm going to constantly put these in your path until you would stop thinking about yourself and start thinking about me and your own personal sanctification. And Paul says, everything's going to work out. It's fine. My command in Scripture is to be faithful with what God has entrusted to my care. Christ will be honored whether I live or die, which leads to the next verse. Look at verse 21. This is a hard verse, by the way. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I think this should be on every hospital entryway. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. For if I live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for, for me. In other words, obedience. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. How far do I go? 23. I am hard pressed between the two. I love this. Paul's like, you know, jail's great and everything, but I'm not really having a good time. My desire is to die. Now, can you resonate with Paul in that situation? Because I know maybe you haven't been in prison, or maybe you haven't been in chains like Paul's in chains, but have you ever been in a situation where you say, God, if you were to just kill me right now, I'd be okay? Yeah, that's what Paul's saying. I'd rather die. And I'd rather be with Christ, for that's far better than to live. Well, let's look at this. What Paul's saying is, he's saying, whether we're going to be physically alive or we're going to die, both are progress for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We got to wrap our minds around this, Okay? To those who don't believe in Jesus, this life on earth is all there is. And here's the deal. If you don't know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you're in the wrong place. Because you should go live it up. You should make the most out of everything. And the Old Testament says, eat, drink, be merry. Make the most out of your life because that's it, baby. You're done. But man, if we know Christ as our Lord and Savior, then we have an opposite view of that. 
We're not striving for money and popularity and power and pleasure and prestige. We're searching for God to be glorified. Because when we die, God's going to look at us and he's going to say, why should I let you into heaven? And we will have to respond, you shouldn't, but you promised. If I confessed of my sin and believed in the blood of Jesus Christ covering that sin, that you would let me in. And you and I had a relationship on earth and you promised that would extend to eternity. That's the gospel. And you said that while I was on earth, I should be obedient to that gospel. And even if I died, that gospel would come true. You promised. And God says, yes, you're correct. All my promises are true. So for Paul, he knew that death wasn't a final defeat. This is really hard for me to say this, but church, we need to get our minds around this. Death is a huge reality. For some people in our congregation, it is a very present reality. But that is not the final destination. Death is just simply the gateway, as for a believer, to come into the assurance of everything that we know to be true about God. Death isn't a defeat. It's a graduation to glory. Look what Paul says. He says, we gain through death by getting to be with Jesus But until we die, we're going to be obedient. We're going to live dying daily to ourselves to honor God's sovereign will. And so since we have no say when we die, like Paul, we do all things for the glory of God and devotion to Christ. Well, how is physical life or death reasons to rejoice? Because this doesn't sound like a very happy sermon, Pastor Jordan. Sounds a little rough. I don't like this. Well, God's not concerned about your happiness. He's concerned about your holiness. And so what Paul says is, first thing, verse 21, that the gospel must be promoted in death. So for Paul, death seems like a tragedy, but in reality, he would be released from troubles and he would enter into Christ's presence. And for Paul to die would be a huge gain because his martyrdom, dying for the gospel of Jesus Christ, would spread throughout the whole entire imperial guard and it would bring him closer to Jesus. Could the same be said about us? If you died today, would people come to know the Lord because of your funeral? Whoa. If you were to die today and all the people came in, would they hear words about what you did on earth or would they hear words about what God did through you here on earth so they could come into a relationship with him? I have a dear friend of mine, lost his dad. I was at his funeral. Um, Actually, I wasn't. I was there online. I'm sorry. Um, And uh, I was listening to the sermon. He didn't talk. I was there, actually. And uh, he, uh, don't worry, I'm just going to talk to myself for a minute. And he didn't say anything about his dad. And I walked away from that funeral and I thought to myself, how cold-hearted is that man that he didn't talk about his dad at all at his funeral. And then I just was struck as I was sitting in my car and I was like, wait, all he talked about was Jesus because all his dad was about was Jesus. What a great funeral. They talk about him all you want around your little tables, but when the population comes present, we're going to talk about Jesus because that's where he dwells now, absent from the body, present with Christ. Uh, Old commentator says it like this. He says, how awful it is to die without Christ, but how blessed it is to die in Christ. I love that. So the unbeliever, you should be fearful. You should be afraid of death. I don't know how you sleep at night. (laughs) 
but for the believer, you do not have to be afraid. Uh, in the book of Joshua, 366 times it says, do not be afraid. That extra one is for the leap year. Why? Because the gospel should be promoted in your life. Look at verse 22 and 23. Paul's confident that God intended him to be fruitful while he was alive, that he would have good works that pointed to the gospel, his Christ-like traits. So when Paul says to live, you can underline that if you want, he means I'm going to evangelize as much as possible and I'm going to edify as much as I possibly can no matter where God puts me. And this is why he's so torn. Do I live in obedience, doing work, for the Lord, according to his will, or do I die to be with Christ? So Paul confidently says that dying, yes, would be better than living because he'd be with God, whom he served on earth, but while on earth, he would be faithful. And you should live in this balance as well. You should wake up in the morning and say, man, to, to die would be great. But since I'm not dead yet, I'm going to serve the Lord. 1 John chapter 3, I love what it says. Verse 2 and 3, it says, Dear friends, uh, another way to put this is beloved, those whom I love and I care about. We are already God's children, believers he's writing to, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. In other words, you're not dead yet. But we do know this, that when we do die, we'll be like him. For we will see him as he really is. And all who have this eager expectation will keep themselves pure just as he is pure. Do you keep yourself pure knowing that dad's coming home soon? Some people, believers, hold way too tightly to this life. And in a sad contrast, many believers haven't yet come to a place where it is a certainty that they will bear fruit for the kingdom of God with their life. We're afraid to lose and let go and become slaves to our own morality. But believers who don't fear death see life merely as a door to eternal life are free to live with purpose and meaning and commitment to the cause. Here's what I'm learning, <laughs> the cause of Christ. Here's what I'm learning about my life. People come to me with problems and their pain, and, and I just think about, God, it will be over soon, won't it? And my prayer for them more and more is that they would see that just as God has shown me that. That it's just a vapor. Because Paul's ready to die, he's ready to live. He belongs to Christ, he's confident of this eternal destination, so he can donate his life on earth to living for Christ. Where is your hope? Is it on earthly things or on eternal things? Because until we are ready to die, we're not ready to live. Until you have, not, until you have made peace with your death, you are not ready to live for Christ. You cannot sing those words that you just sang. Until you make peace with the fact that God can take you out at any time according to his will, you can't sing those words. Then I have to wrestle with that. I sing them and I'm like, Phew. by the way, we were at uh, Nashville for this conference. It's called the Sing Conference. And I don't know why they call it that because I couldn't sing a thing. We're singing doctrinally true messages, and uh, our team is there, and I look over, and their hands are in the air, and I'm crying my eyes out, and I'm like, God, just take me home right now. I can't even sing to you right now. It's so overwhelming because, uh, God, full transparency, I don't think I'm ready to die. 
I got it really good on earth. And he's like, I don't think you even understand how good you'll have it in heaven. If you did, you'd let some things go. So God loves when we are confident in these things, when we're continuing these things and obedient to these things. Look at verse 24. He says, but to remain in the flesh, and I love this, typical pastor's heart, right? Paul points back to the people. But to remain in the flesh is necessary for your account. I'll stay here for you. (laughs) Oh, I love that. I guess I'll stick around on your behalf. (laughs) Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for progress and joy in the faith. And that word joy just comes up over and over again. What's Paul saying here? Paul knows that other believers, the Philippian church primarily, still needed him and his work was still to be done. He's still breathing. He's still in the flesh. And so no matter how old you are, get this, there's work for you to do for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whether you're young, whether you're middle-aged, older age, mature as we call you, (laughs) there is still work to be done for the Lord. Paul's work wasn't a hindrance, negative, but a comfort, positive, for the church then and now. And while Paul survived this imprisonment here in the text and was set free, he'd be later martyred in Rome and So he did come to visit the Philippians again, and he did work with them, and he served them to meet their needs above his own. I love what Helen Keller says. Believe when you are most unhappy that there is something for you to do in the world. I remember saying this to an individual who said, if it is better to die, then maybe I should do that myself. And I said, whoa, whoa, hold on a second, you're missing the point. There's something for you to do here on earth if God still puts breath in your lungs. So as long as you can sweeten another's pain, life is not in vain. I love that. How do we sweeten another's pain? We carry each other's burdens, right? We carry one another's burdens. People need two things. They need the Lord. We learned that in the 90s through CCM music. You're welcome. And two, other believers, as Bethany said, vertical, just as much as horizontal. The first four, get this, of the Ten Commandments deal with your relationship with God. The next set of commandments deal with your relationship with other people. Do you think that's by chance? Isn't it funny that it takes four things for us to have a right relationship with God. It takes six things to have right relationship with people. So people are a higher priority sometimes. I'll stop. (laughs) So what we see here is what, exactly what Rick Warren used to say. He said, faithful servants never retire. You, can't reti- you can retire from your career, but you'll never retire from serving the Lord. Or how about we put Rick away for a second and look at Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10. For God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in the serving of the saints. So until the Lord comes or calls me home, my opportunity and my obligation is to be confident in my hardship. It is to be continual in my hardship. It is to be obedient in my hardship. You remember Paul, he says there's a thorn in my flesh. It doesn't go away. I ask God to remove it. He doesn't do it. What in the world? And so Paul just kind of got content with it. He's like, hey, this problem's going to stick around for a while. Welcome to the family. 
the Philippian believers would have rejoiced. They would have heard Paul's words. They would have been overjoyed. Look at verse 26. They would have overflowed with joy, knowing that Paul would return to them and that they could rejoice in their hardships, that God was working in their hardships, and whether they lived or they died, it didn't matter because they knew how it would end. I'm reminded of um, Eliza Hewitt in 1898. I know, it's like four years ago. Wrote a fantastic hymn called When We All Get to Heaven. You might know the hymn, but um, Eliza was a school teacher whose career was cut short because she had a spinal problem and it affected her and caused her a lot of unbearable pain. And she was bedridden for a lot of years. So what she would do is she would essentially write poems for the Sunday school kids. And then she would send them off and people would read them, you know, and they would be encouraged because Eliza, while she was struggling, she was still leaning on the Lord. And then after a while, they took her poems and they turned them into songs. And so you get when we all get to heaven. And she dedicated it to the school children in Philadelphia. Her inspiration came uh, from 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 17. Let me read this to you. When we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so shall we ever be with the Lord. Can I read that to you again? You okay with that? Then, when all this pain, toil, hardship is over, we which are alive, and what that means is alive in Christ, and have remained, will be caught up with him in the air. And we'll meet the Lord. And so shall we ever be with him. And that partners with Paul's words. So I said, hey, Bethany, um, I'm going to read this passage, or this, this, uh, this hymn. And she's like, why don't you just sing it? And I said, by myself? <laughs> um, and she's like, no, just we'll sing it together as a congregation. I was like, all right, let's do it. So I'm going to bring Bethany up, and, and we're going to sing this. Um, and maybe you could sing with, yeah? It's either going to be a great success or an absolute failure, all right? Um, why don't you go over here? like our living room, isn't it? It's exactly what happens. You guys probably are like, there's no way. It happens more to them, more than you think. As the fourth and fifth graders are taking a seat, I'm going to tune. Do you know what uh, God's favorite chord is? Jesus. <laughs> Jesus bend it but it That's, comes yeah. across as Jesus. Yeah, okay. So funny. Music jokes are fun, aren't they? Hey, let me, let me read this to you, okay? Sing the wondrous love of Jesus. Sing his mercy and his grace. In the mansions bright and blessed, he'll prepare for us a place. you believe that this morning? Some of us have friends and family and relatives that are there. Kind of jealous about that. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be when we see Jesus. We'll sing and shout the victory. While we walk the pilgrim's pathway, clouds will overspread the sky. But when traveling days are over, not a shadow, not a sigh. 
Let us then be true and faithful, trusting, serving every day. Just one glimpse of him in glory will the toils of life repay. Onward to the prize before us, soon his beauty will behold. Soon the pearly gates will open and we'll tread the streets of gold. Church needs to start singing about heaven a little bit more, right? Mm-hmm. Let's sing this together. Sing the wondrous love of Jesus. Sing his mercy and his grace in the Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.